Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of the podcast, Chats from the Blog Cabin. I am so happy that you're joining me for season two. It's going to be an exciting year. I can't wait for the year to start. Um, We're going into the new year. Today is December 29th. Um, New Year's Eve is two days away, and I hope you have a blessed and prosperous new year. Um, I decided to start the chats from the blog cabin season two a little bit early because you know what? I couldn't help myself. I said I was going to take some time off and I did. I took um, last week from Tuesday on off. Um, Didn't do any lives on Facebook and just started one today. And so I thought, why not do a podcast episode start season two? And we're starting off with a bang. We're starting off with Sue Bowles. She is a survivor turned author, speaker, and a certified master life coach. Now, I know you're thinking, you're probably thinking, man, she has a lot of coaches on. And I do have a lot of coaches on. But I would not share this content with you if I didn't think it was valuable to you. This particular coach overcame a lot of struggles. She was raped when she was in first grade. She had gone through the emotional turmoil of that. And then she also had a, not such a great relationship. Um, her dad was an alcoholic and having to deal with that when she was growing up. But her dad is like her best friend, her biggest fan now. And just seeing the changes that she has come to grips with and, and how she's wanting to help others. Um, it's just amazing. And so I really hope that you will love the new episode of the podcast, Chats from the Blog Cabin. And I want to thank you guys for being here and and tagging along for season two. Um, I promise the seasons won't be as long as they were before. So guys, buckle in. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Hi guys, welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today I'm joined by, as Sue put it in her intro, a survivor turned author, speaker, and certified master life coach. So Sue, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into all your titles. Uh, yeah, and the titles are, are just reflective of you know stories. A little bit about myself. Well, I already told you what I do, but what got me there was uh, just a lot of life experiences, a lot of trauma, to be honest that took a long time to get not over but get through took a lot of a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy to do all the healing needed where now i can be at the place where i can give back and help others who are are going through the same stuff that i was going through now there's one thing that i'm very passionate about that i actually love that you are passionate about as well is that it's breaking the stigma around mental illness Mm -hmm. mental health Yep. um if you've have seen any, any of my viewers have actually seen, um, I actually had a panel on mental health and one of my daughters mm-hmm. came and said that she had just been diagnosed with being bipolar and mm-hmm. the stigma around that. So I'm very mm-hmm. passionate about telling people that, you know, it may not be, you know, it's the new normal basically is what it is in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. There's somebody somewhere is struggling with something, whether it's anxiety mm-hmm. or anything else. So mm-hmm. let's talk about your story. How are you a survivor? Wow. Um, Survivor in a number of ways. But first and foremost, it started when I was seven years old. I was raped by a classmate after school one day when I was in first grade. And as if that wasn't bad enough, his last words to me were, don't tell anybody. And it took many decades until I realized the power those words were holding over me because I didn't tell anybody for 15 years until a few months before I graduated college. 
And even with all that, I still didn't really start dealing with the effects of the rape until 2014. So by then there were three and four decades of garbage on top of it. On top of that, my dad was now, my dad isn't a recovering, he's in recovery for alcoholism. But when I was growing up, it was an active alcoholism, it's a dysfunctional family. And with that, as is normal, sad to say, there's a lot of emotional and mental abuse that happens with that. Uh, never physical, but it is very important for me to say right now that my dad is my biggest cheerleader. He's been sober 29 going on 30 years and relationships are restored and even better than they ever were before. So I'm so daggone proud of my dad. But that was part of my story growing up. Um, I've been suicidal twice. I've, I've dealt with depression. My parents divorced after 34 years of marriage and I was barely hanging on by a thread. On top of that, or I should say in the midst of all that, I developed an eating disorder and I'm in recovery mm -hmm. from an eating disorder for the last four years. So it's really only been since 2014 that I started doing the hard work of healing. And now it's, it's got me to the point now where, where I, I can be open about my story and I can share it without shame because there's nothing to be ashamed of about my story. My story is separate from who I am. It's part of my story, but it, it, it has made me into who I am now, but it is not the defining moments. Wow, your story is so powerful to have all that happen. Did you think at one point, why me? Why has all this oh. happened to me? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And do I, when I first started thinking and seeing things that were happening, the way I phrased it was any one of those is more than enough for one person's life. And for some reason, it's all happened in my life. But you know, God has a way of making it all work out. And, and while I never wish any of that on anyone and all of it was wrong, God still means, finds a way to make good come of it. And now I'm to the point again where, where my purpose, my drive is to get out there and to share my story so that others can hear the same thing I heard when I was going through it, that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to reach out for help and that you are not the sum. Who you are is not what has happened to you. They are two different things and that you still have the power to define how that affects you now. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. So how did that take you into becoming a life coach? Honestly, <laughs> That that actually came up earlier this year. I've been speaking for a few years. I had a book come out last year and that book became, it was in essence my story and the things I've learned uh, in that story. And, and through that, some speaking opportunities came up, a number of podcasts came up and a friend of mine actually approached me. My friend's a social worker. She's uh, a very treasured friend and I highly value her opinion. And she said, have you ever thought about being a life coach? Because it seems to be where you're going. And I had never thought of it before and hadn't really crossed my mind. So I started doing some research and started really thinking about it. And as I came to understand the profession more, then I started realizing, yes, this is, this is what I want to do. This is how I can use my gifts and how I can use my skills and my talents to start affecting lives individually as well as collectively when I'm writing or when I'm, when I'm speaking or doing podcasts or whatever. So it was a nice blend. So I became, I took a class, took the certification classes, a three day intensive online class through Certified Life Coach Institute out of California and uh, became a certified, master, certified life coach. 
And then in August, I took the next level class, which is called Master Life Coach. So I am now a certified Master Life Coach. I am working towards my ICF, which is International Coach Federation uh, accreditation, and my certification through them. They are the the um, the accepted governing body, governing the gold standard of coaching, and uh, to be. Certified through them is a very intensive process. The two classes, the two certifications I have through my uh, life coaching school exceed the training hours that are needed. But now, as with anything else, there's a test. There's 100, 100 hours of coaching, and then you have to have 10 hours of mentoring, and then all these other things. You have to turn in a transcript and, and just all these other things because they don't just give that away. So it's something that is earned, and that's what I'm working towards now. Wow. I also like the fact that you said in your bio, you're a hope coach. What does that mean exactly? Hope coach for me, as I really started drilling down who I wanted to serve as a coach and, and what my, if you want to call it a niche or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever my, my, my heart, what, what I was really drawn to was helping people find hope, helping people get unstuck people, so many people are feeling stuck these days for all kinds of reasons. And when you feel stuck and you're feeling like you're not making any progress, slowly you start losing hope. And over time, it can erode your confidence. It can erode how you live your life. And those are all symptoms. And that's what we see are the symptoms. When we say, I want to change something, we want to change something that we're seeing. But when you drill down deeper and you start realizing that what I really I'm this. I'm behaving this way. I'm seeing this behavior because I've kind of given up in this area and I've just accepted status quo. That's what I go for is what is that status quo you have settled for? And obviously, if you want to grow and you're wanting to grow because you're asking for help and you're dissatisfied, you really don't want to settle for that. But then you just need some help to help drill down and what I call mine for hope so we can find out what what's what you know what's the situation what have you tried what's working what's not working what do you want to change what are the obstacles of that change and we slowly start just start whittling away and it's been my greatest privilege is just watching the smile on my clients faces that you know as they come back next week man you know i i i i, I met my goal and, and man now I'm, and then they start running mm -hmm. it is so encouraging when you see someone who's you know uh, hesitant and almost afraid mm -hmm. of interacting with somebody, you know, take, picking up the phone and trying to initiate a conversation or maybe going to a meeting they've thought about or a church or an event or something they've thought about going to and they're just hesitant. And we work through those hesitancies, hesit you know, hesitancies, and then they decide that they want to set the goal, that they want to go ahead and, and, and try it that next, what, that next week. And then we talk about that. How did that go? What, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? And we work through that. And then as they start seeing success, they start getting unstuck. And that motivates them and encourages them that then they start, okay, so now this is what I really wanted to do that I thought was out of reach. And now it's not out of reach. I got to work, but it's not out of reach. So let's get going. So that's, that's what being a hope coach is all about. I love that. And actually, I don't know if you know any of the backstory behind Chats from the Vlog Cabin. It actually started in the beginning of, I'm going to say, March, April, May, around that time line. I was actually in a free challenge by a 
mindset coach and mm -hmm. they can't, she challenged us to go on and talk about one of our values to go live on Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. whatever. And I mm -hmm. had this big fear of going live because I'm like, Oh, I'm so nervous. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I went live, loved it. And chats from the block cabin came out about, about so exactly my fear exactly about that's exactly what it's about that's exactly what it's about so do you think all your experiences the rape when you were in first grade your your father who's now in recovery your eating disorder helps you to become a better coach yes yes now and, and let me say this real quick there is a difference and there is a line to be drawn between therapy and coaching and, and i'm very attentive to that and, and maybe almost hyper attentive to it to make sure I don't cross that line. And I say that because therapy has to deal with dealing with the past and bringing you to a functioning present. Mm -hmm. Coaching has to do with presence and taking you and moving you to the future to see, see your goals. So I, I draw that delineation. So I say that, for example, I'm not an eating disorder counselor. If someone is in an active eating disorder, I'm not the one that can, I don't do Life coaches do not do any diagnoses. Mm -hmm. We don't deal with the DSM-5. So I'm not willing to, to you know, pick that apart. However, if someone is in, you know, getting help for their eating disorder or they're stable or already in recovery, and they're like, you know, now I want to do this. Great, let's go for it. So yes, my experiences have allowed me to really understand behind what goes on behind the scenes and some, some of the deeper thoughts that can get in the way. And it, 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 it is, it's an honor to share the space and hold the space for folks who are either working through their traumas or have worked through their traumas and are now to the point of saying, okay, I've made peace with that trauma and now I want to show it what, what I'm, how I'm going to handle, handle my life from here on out. So it doesn't mean that I can't help people. Mm -hmm. It just means that it, it depends on how far along, what the circumstance is, I guess is the best way to put it. But you have a better understanding of where a lot of people are coming from and whether or not they need therapy or if they need a life yes. coach. You yes. Can, you yes. Know what? Yeah, um, very much so. And those, and, and those are some of the things that we go through through our training classes is how to go, how to identify, you know, when, when it's something that's out of reach. And one of the things to talk about as well is that, you know, life coaching is a support to therapy. And one of the things that, you know, that they strongly encourage us to do is to start networking with counselors so that when we have a situation where we need to refer, it's not a cold call. We already have a relationship and we can help bridge that gap because again, even making that referral is part of serving our clients. And when you want, you want to do that with integrity, you want to do it with, with dignity and you want to do it so that the client feels safe and that they don't feel, feel uh, cast off but that they feel supported so that they're getting the best help they can get, not just some help, but the best help they can get. I love that. So let's talk about your book. This much. I know the space between Yes, it's actually free on Kindle unlimited. If you're a Kindle unlimited subscriber, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Every author has a book nearby. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about that. How did that come about for you to write it? Was it more of like a therapy for you or? It started that way, and then it morphed into something different. I, I mentioned 2014, I started doing the hard work of healing, and I became involved in, I came across a retreat program that has become very near and dear to my heart now. Uh, they, are, they are my second family. And through my experience with that retreat, 
the book started to come. It, it was more of, of try, starting to get out my, my story and kind of just writing and, and yeah, therapeutic and cathartic. The original concept was to make it more of like a, um, similar to a devotional in terms of stories, and then like a, a, a summary statement at the end of, of the lesson, you know, the summary statement of, of, of the concept I was trying to, to convey. That idea of the concept remained in the final version of the story of the book. But then as I healed more, the book took on a new format and a bit new focus, and it became me sharing my story. So the title, This Much I Know, is that that's our story. Every person has a story. That is the one thing no one can ever take from mm -hmm. us. That much we know. The space between talks about that healing journey, going from being wounded to finding healing. And I share my story of, of what I experienced and, and the, kind of the steps that I, I ended up going through as I went through my healing process. At the end of each, each chapter, yes, there is a summary statement. Um, so it, it, it did take a little bit, a little bit of a different format, but like I can share one, share one of my summary statements. This is the chapter where I shared about, uh, let me find it here. When I, when I share, shared about, um, about being raped by Bobby. In the very end of it says, this much I know, no matter what happens, God sees, God knows, and God is at work to make good come out of even unspeakable horrors. So the first half of the book has some kind of small snippet at that, of that mm -hmm. at the end. Uh, the book actually just won an award in, in last month in November. It received second place nonfiction for at the Faith and Fellowship Book Festival. So that was really exciting for me. Wow! And, congratulations. Uh, thanks. Yeah, that I was that was that's pretty exciting. So that's just going to be going on the wall in the office. And then I have officially started work on book number two, which would be the second installment of this much I know series. This one's going to be called This Much I Know. It's okay to not be okay. And it's talking more about what we started talking about, the stigma around mental health. It's talking about why we are so concerned about the opinion of others and maybe mm -hmm. some, maybe some of this foundation of where that came from. And then we talk, talk about just about the, diff the different things that go through our head as we fight through, is it okay to not be okay? And, 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 and just kind of walking through that and, and to come to the conclusion that it's very much okay to not be okay, very much. Wow. I mean, because honestly, there is a lot of stigma around mental illness mm -hmm. and it's like you don't talk about it. And it's right. like you're almost ashamed or mm -hmm. to tell people, hey, I suffer from anxiety mm -hmm. or I suffer yeah. from um, some kind of mental illness because there's mm -hmm. always that. Oh, she's crazy. You know, right. and I know I've been guilty of people saying, oh, man, she's crazy. But now I've learned to to change my words around a lot. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not even, I, I don't, I know mental illness, yes, it has, you know, the, the, the image of the insane asylums and the, the, the straight jackets and all that stuff, but that's not it. it it's their mental health challenges. Most of, most mental health challenges are biologically based. And, and, and if we go to a doctor when we're not feeling well, why do we not get help when we're not feeling, when we're struggling? I, I, I don't understand. And it's, it, I struggled with the same thing. It took a long time until I could save somebody in the face and say, I was raped from my first grade and not have all the stuff going through the head of it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. And it's my, I goofed up and, you know, no one's going to listen to me and just the whole thing. And honestly, one of the things that really helped me become more peaceful with my story and be bold about it was Simone Biles. When she, 
came out and shared her story. I wrote a blog post about it because that, for me, opened the door for me to be more bold about it past my circle of, fr of friends because I realized that my story has power and my story is just as important as Simone Biles or anybody else. It doesn't matter how much of a public figure you are or aren't, your story is just as important. And that was really helpful for me and has allowed me just to, just to come on shows like this and say, you know what, this happened to me. And if somebody can be encouraged by my story to take their next step, that's what I'm all about is what's your next step? My coaching business is my step ahead. It's all about, you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. So that's what everything is about from here on out. Wow. I love that. So how did you, cause you said it wasn't until years later that you came to terms. I mean, years and years later is that you came to terms with the rape. How did you go about processing that? I mean, cause honestly that's a huge thing to process. Yes. Uh, and I have to say, I have a fantastic counselor. I have been with her since 2008, believe it or not. And for the first few years, her comment was, we have to get you stronger in the present before we can even deal with the past. Because I had boundary issues like crazy. And I, I was not well. I had all kinds of stuff going on. But how, to, how it all happened was... Um, we had got, her name is Amanda. She's with Grace Recovery Counseling down in South Carolina. We meet online in Examen, Ohio. And we, um, we had gotten to the point where it was, things kind of just kept circling back to it. And, and for a long time, we kind of knew it was there, but we weren't ready. And then it just, it just became a natural ebb and flow that it was time to start dealing with it. And around that time is when this movie came out called Ragamuffin. It was based on the life of Rich Mullins, a, a, a Christian musician who was killed in 1997. And that all tied in with the retreat. So we, we were dealing with it. And it was the hardest and the worst and the best year of my life. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. One of the hardest things that she, one of the early homework assignments, Amanda would give me homework each week. And one of the assignments we went early on was 10 times a day for a week to look myself in the mirror and say out loud, the rape was not my fault. And it was not good enough to simply say it wasn't my fault. I had mm -hmm. to name it. And it started for the first two or three days. It was the rape was not my fault. The rape wasn't my fault. You know, just very dispassionate, very, mm -hmm. I don't buy this. I'm doing this because I have to. And I don't like saying this. And after about two or three days, it started becoming the rape was not my fault. The rape was not my fault. And it started getting more emphatic. So when I, we met the next week, sure enough, she had me say it to her. And, and I was always nervous about saying stuff in front of her like that. And I said it, do it again. And she had me say it about three times. And that got me over the hump. And I started believing it. And then as you start to believe it, then you can start tearing it apart and dealing more with the fears and the lies and, and the anger. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was hacked off. I was angry at everybody under the sun and all that was festering underneath and feeding the eating disorder. And I didn't know that because mm -hmm. as an aside, eating disorders are not about food. They're about emotions not properly dealt with. And they come out in your relationship with food. So side sidebar aside now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so that's how it all started. What was dealing with that. And then when I went to this retreat, 
it was one of the staff members, in fact, the same staff member, my friend who encouraged me to look into life coaching has said that that first retreat was like a Hail Mary pass where it was my Hail Mary of could God really love me and could I be lovable by other people? Because I felt at that time in time, I called myself the holy exception. I was too far gone, too screwed up, taken mm-hmm. up space. And, and I really had, had no purpose in life. And I went into that retreat feeling that way. And three days later, walking away feeling like I am lovable. And God likes me. He doesn't just love me. He likes me. And there's a big difference in that. And it is important to me to say these retreats, while they are very powerful, there's nothing magical about the retreat. There's nothing magical about the people. What makes them so powerful is the people, the, the staff leadership, they get out of the way and let God's Holy Spirit do his job. That is why they are so powerful. I've been to every retreat since, or every year I go to you know, go to a retreat starting in 2014. We just had one in November. And every year, you know, there's just, there's a nugget. There's something that happened, but God has, has really healed me through the love of these people. And it's only been six years. And that's what I share with people is that you are not too far gone and you never know what's going to happen. If you had told me six years ago, I'd be sitting here doing, you know, mm-hmm. numerous, numerous podcasts and have a book that won an award and all these things, I would have laughed you off the face of the earth because I would have said, I have nothing to say. No one wants to listen to what I have to say. I don't believe that anymore because I, I realized that my life matters just as much as anybody else's. Wow. Your, your story is so, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I can see why you call yourself a hope coach because there's hope in your story. I mean, with everything that happened to you and you're still ever being able to overcome and to share your story. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing is you're sharing your story. So other people know they're not alone. I love that. And, 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 and that, that's my heart. That, that's, that's why I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and just the other opportunities that, that I have because someone needs to hear what I, what I have to say. And, and sometimes they, some, I know when I was going through it, and even now as I go through things, you know, I need to hear it over and over and over again. My mom passed away two months ago. I'm struggling a lot with grief because I was coming up on the holidays. I was talking to a friend at work today. I said, just keep telling me it's going to be okay. Yeah, and everybody does. And I know, and, but we all need to hear the same thing over and mm-hmm. over and over again when we're in the midst of the struggle. And I want to be one of those voices for somebody else. Again, only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. I continue to reach out to my counselor and the others who are helping me, but I can also reach backwards because I'm a step ahead of somebody else and help them. And together we have a human chain of help and support. And I want to be one of those chain links. I love that. I think that's what our country needs now too, is that chain length of support where people are helping out both ways because so many people are in the me, 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 me thing Mm -hmm. and not worried Mm -hmm. about the people in front of them or the people behind them. Right. Right. And and it's a privilege. It's an honor. I don't take it lightly. I take it very seriously. And when someone allows me to be their coach and invites me into their life, that's a sacred trust that I don't take lightly at all because I don't know what they are going to share. 
I don't know the backstory to their struggles until they choose to trust me and open up. I don't take that lightly because I've been in that seat and I'm still in that seat with my counselor. I understand. It's not identical. Um, I, I don't want to ever say, say to someone, I know how you feel because I don't. I can relate, but I don't know how you feel because I'm not you. Because your feelings are unique to you and your experience. I love that. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. And you're like, and that really sets off something, triggers people uh -huh. when they say, mm -hmm. how do you know? Yep, exactly. And, and, and it almost, it sets up the, the porcupine spines of, no, you don't. And I'm not going to tell you anything else. You just, you just wasted mm -hmm. your chance. Because all you're going to do is you're not going to listen. You're listening to speak. You're not listening to hear. And there's a big difference. Now, let's talk about your dad because your eyes just lit up when you talked about your dad. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were like, yeah, you very quickly. I got this little smile on my face now. So, yeah, um, you very quickly qualified. He is in recovering. He's been recovering for, what would mm -hmm. you say, 29 years? 29, but, yep you were very quickly to say, yes, he was like this when I was growing up, but now he's not. And your eyes exactly. just lit up. So let's exactly. talk about your relationship with your dad. Uh, I love my dad. He is my biggest cheerleader. I have, and, and, and I may get emotional on this and I, I will not say, forgive the tears. I will say, please understand the tears. Go right ahead. Um, I have always been close to my dad. My dad has always believed in me, no matter what. His, one of, what he would tell us, what he told me, he tells us kids, his job was to give us roots and wings. And he did both jobs so well. I can dream with my dad. And, and, and in the in critical times in my life, I could just be with him and talk to him and share whatever. And my dad just loved me. It wasn't until probably five years ago, maybe, that I told my dad about being raped. My mom knew before my dad did. And um, his reaction was so precious. We were standing in the kitchen at his house. And I was leaving from the visit. And we ended up talking in the 45 minutes because it kind of just came out. Mm -hmm. And at first he sat there and he just went... I'm so sorry, Susu. And he's the only person allowed to call me Susu. And uh, um, he said, Dad, it's not your fault. He's like, I know, but I wish I had known. He said, Dad, I wasn't ready to tell anybody. And, 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 and then, then he came back and said, it's probably better I didn't know because I would have gone looking. <laughs> and, and just those things that you know, a dad says to a daughter that let you know that you are so cherished and, and that you know, it, it, was, it wasn't about him. And maybe that's one of the biggest things is it's not about him when I'm with him. He wants to know about me. He shares time with me. And I want to know about him. So we were always going back and forth, catching up with each other. But I can just be with him. And he did a lot of hard work. My dad was raised in an orphanage from when he was 12 to when he was 18. And I understand the, the backstory of things that happen in dad's life that, you know, are, that affect how he interacts with people. 
you know, I know it's stereotypical. A lot of dads don't show a lot of emotion. I've seen mm -hmm. my dad cry about three times. But at the same time, we did an intervention on dad in 1991. If you're not familiar with an intervention, it is a gut wrenching. You basically set up the person that you are intervening in their life on. And they are surprised when they walk in the room and everybody's sitting there. And each person goes around and shares how that person's, you know, drug addiction, behavior, you know, whatever the behavior is, has affected their life. And you basically lay down an ultimatum. And for me, I had to look at my dad, the man I cherish, and I had to tell him that if he didn't get help, I wouldn't come visit him any, any day, anymore. And you have to be, will, be ready to live by what you say because you're loving him enough to put it on the line. After that, dad went to treatment that day. And out of everybody he could have ridden with, he chose to ride with me. Mm -hmm. That was just the most treasured thing. I checked him to an airport one day on a, you know, leaving for a business trip. And we were able to have a very personal conversation where I asked him a couple tough questions. And he was honest with me. And, and those treasured moments bond me to him even more. You know, we'll go play pool. I can be happy just sitting there watching television with my dad just to be with him. Now, at the same time, he's got an incredible voice. He's, he'll be 88 in February. Mm -hmm. He still has a beautiful baritone voice. All of us loved it growing up. So in 2018, I think it was 2018, I went down to see him for a day and I videotaped him singing. I went in with a, with a request list from his kids of about 15 songs and I videotaped him singing and we have that now. And that's, gonna, that's just a treasured thing that we have. So I could go on and on and on, but you see why now why my face just lights up. My dad, he, he is one of my best friends and, and he, he believes in me. And he just wants me to just keep flying and keep using their wing, those wings and see where it lands. That's the biggest thing is he just believes in me. Wow. I can so empathize with that because I actually lost my dad in 2015, but my dad mm -hmm. was my biggest cheerleader as well. And I had mm -hmm. such a closer relationship with my dad than I did my mom. I always said that mm -hmm. my, my parents had two sets of kids. The first mm -hmm. two were my mom's and the last two were, <laughs> were my dad's. <laughs> Even though we all had the same parents, it's just that right. we definitely gravitated toward that. Sure, sure. So what about your mom? What age were you when you told your mom about the rape? Oh, wow. Uh, that was probably what, about 15, 16 years ago. Because, yeah, that, that, that was, it was probably close to you. It, it, it's been, it was a while. Um, I was... Yeah, I was in my 40s. And so I just turned, yeah, turned 57, so I was in my 40s. So why did you decide to tell your mom and not tell your dad? Do you think it would break your dad? or? Um, yeah, it's hard to remember that. I, I think some, some of it with mom was just, you know, it was kind of to the point that um, it, she could tell there was something I was holding back. You know, my, my mom lived with me since 1997, so you know, so so we saw each. You know, obviously, we saw each other every day. Uh, so we developed develop a better relationship then. And um, I think you know, in the course of that time, she could just tell there was something I was holding back. You know, mother's intuition, if you want to call it that. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I was I was tired of keeping it secret. So um, yeah, it, it it just it was just it kind of just became time. So and it was it wasn't an intentional holding back from dad. It was I hadn't even when I told mom I hadn't dealt with it. So mm-hmm. it was like I told it and then kind of just shoved it under the rug and everything. Oh, I'm, uh, everything's good. I'm okay because I wasn't ready to deal with things yet. So it, and I wasn't it wasn't with the counselor. So I wasn't you know I was just wasn't at that point. So I kind of shared the story and and then we moved on with life. Um, and then you know as as things things develop with the book and the speaking and everything, um, you know one of the one of the most treasured things was last year when my book came out giving my dad his copy and, and giving him his autographed copy. And, and and he was sitting in the car next to me. We had just gone out. I think we were playing pool. I see him at least make sure I see him for his birthday, make sure I see him for my birthday and try it as much as we can in between as well. And I gave, you know, I had already given him the manuscript and, and, and I said, and we talked and I said, there's, I want you to know things before you read this. And, and, you know, so he, he knew it all. But then I gave him the book once it was all done. And, and just, I have the picture, I took the picture of him, and just the smile on his face is something I will always treasure. It's like, you know, this is my dad. I'm giving him my book. This is pretty cool. That is cool, because not a lot of people can hand a book over to their parents <laughs> and say, I wrote this. Because a lot of people, number one, don't have the stamina to even write a book. They started, but maybe, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'll finish with it later, you know. Right. So, wow. Book writing is an adventure, that's for sure. So, book writing is an adventure. So, how how do you, at this point, you, you're you trying to overcome, so, and you're speaking. Talk about your very first speaking role. How, how did you feel when you first got there? Because obviously, you're going to be pretty nervous, right? Because you're sharing your, your story, and you're putting yourself, you're being vulnerable in front of other people. And I know a lot of people don't like to be vulnerable. So how did you do that? Well, the whole speaking thing happened, um, started locally, actually. And, and I started speaking at a health class, sharing my story about, about an eating disorder. And it, I, I used to do high school youth ministry. I love teens. Way back when, I wanted to be a high school teacher. So that audience was, was very, is one I relate to very naturally. So the health teacher I know uh, had me in speak to this class. And you know, it was the, the first couple of times, obviously you're nervous because you're like, try you don't want to have a memorized speech, but I also not want to sit here and just read this. You know, if I'm going to interact with you, I want to interact. I don't want to be tied to a piece of paper. We're going to have eye contact. I'm going to be walking around. Uh, so I was a little nervous, but I was really pleased with it. Because uh, it just, you know, it, it, it felt good. Uh, and, and that got the bug going. After that, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is this is what I'm designed to do. I was a speech major in college, so being in front of people doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I, you know, that doesn't, I did theater and the whole deal. So that's, 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 I, I love that. Is that, I, it's, it's odd, I realize it's the number one public fear, you know, fear of people is public speaking, and that's mm-hmm. my number one love. So <laughs> I'm just, it's just the way it is. It's just how I'm wired. So after the book came out, um, I, I literally fell into, into being on podcasts this year. And, and it, I remember how it, it just kind of happened. And I set a goal, okay, I'll do five in, of course, a couple months or whatever. And in January, I did five. 
and I was like, okay, I need to pull back a little bit. And then each time I kind of increased the goal a little bit. And I think my, my new, I think I settled on my goal to be 35. And I think I've surpassed that now. I don't know. I've lost track. When, when, mom, <laughs> when, when mom got sick, um, everything obviously, you know, went on the shelf for a while. And I've really just started making myself available in the last couple of weeks again. So, but even then, I think there's two or three this week and another one next week. I mean, it's, there's just, you know, so many different things happening. Um, and I started presenting at conferences. There's, there's a conference. I have a master's in student development, college student development, and I worked on college campuses for eight years. Mm -hmm. So as, as I started gaining confidence, then a natural place for me to speak was to people in student affairs. So there is a professional organization here in Ohio that I was part of when I was in the field. So I rejoined that and started presenting at their state conferences. So right away, I, I became a state level speaker and I've done that for three years now. Then earlier this year, I started doing online mental health summits. And mm. um, in October, October, I had my first national presentation. Uh, the the, the uh, annual conference for advancing school mental health is done by the, by the School of Medicine at University of Maryland in Baltimore. And they had to go, go virtual this year and uh, my presentation on eating disorders was accepted, so I am now a national speaker. Some of the podcasts have had our international audiences, so it's been pretty crazy, uh, and it's been fun, and, and, and I'm really liking it. Wow, but to actually be vulnerable, that's the thing that's, that I think is the scariest part, because I mean, it's one thing mm -hmm. when you're speaking about different things, but mm -hmm. when you're actually speaking about your own experiences, are you ever scared that someone in the audience is going to say, oh, that didn't really happen to her, or, or you just don't even care about that, or do you more care about um, if I can reach that one person to show them that what they're going through in their life? Is I just want to reach one. You know, it, it, I can't control what other people in that audience are going to think. I hope they're engaged and and connected to the story. Um, and, and different times when I speak, I have different emotional reactions, like I did talking about my dad. Sometimes it doesn't happen, sometimes it does. If I find myself getting emotional, I will say the same thing I said here about, you know, understand, but I'm not gonna ask you to forgive me because they're my emotions. Um, I, I, I have done the hard work where I can be authentic. And, and, and I think that authenticity comes through when I speak. I hope it does. And I hope that authenticity is what people can connect to because deep down people are yearning for that and they're scared of it. So if I can be one example that it is okay to be authentic, but also to be real and say it takes a hell of a lot of hard work to be able to get to that place where you have peace. It, it, is it challenging to be vulnerable? Yes. Mm -hmm. I always wondered how on earth does Simone Biles get on national television and keep sharing this? And then the, you know, the magazines and the newspapers and the television shows and everything. And I've always wondered when people have that kind of story, how do they share that and not get emotional about it? Do they, does, how, are, they, are they being real when they can just talk about it and not totally fall apart? And, I, and I'm understanding more of the work that goes through to get, that you have to go through to get to that point. I still have my moments. I still have my emotional moments, but I, I am, I, I, I've done the hard work of going through the healing mountain. You cannot go around it. 
You can't go over it. You have to go through it. And when you get to the other side, that peace comes. And when you have that peace with the past, with where you are, with your present, when that peace is there, it makes it easier. I'm never going to say it's easy. I'm never going to say I'm not attached or emo and emotionally connected to the story because I am. It's my story. Mm. I have been violated. It still affects me to this day. I still get angry about it at times. But the difference is I don't let it control how I live my life. Mm. That is the difference. That then makes it easier to share the story so mm -hmm. that I can try to help reach someone else and that they can they know that there's someone. One of the biggest things I love is after I speak, and I miss this right now because I can't do it in person, is when people come up afterwards. When people, you know, when I spoke at the high school the last time, last you know, fall before before the COVID hit, I had two students come up to me and one of them say, Thank you, I needed to hear this. I, I need to get with my counselor about this. I'm going to get help for my own eating disorder now. Mm. And I've got this appointment and you encourage me to keep it. And somebody else came to me and these are teenagers at the local high school. Someone came to me and said, I'm concerned about a friend. What do I do? And being able to give that student some suggestions and then to hear back from that student that his friend, he took up those suggestions and reached out to one of the school counselors and that that student is doing better and he's not as concerned about his friend anymore. That, I mean, that, 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 that's what it's all about. So when I, when I see that happen, it gives me more courage to keep doing what I do because unfortunately there's somebody else out there who needs to hear it. Yep. That is so true. Wow. Your story is so, I'm going to, I'm just like, I could listen to your story. Number one, not only because your story is so powerful, but the way you express it and, and your voice is just so it's like a storytelling voice, you know, that you like a book on tape. So have you ever, is your book on tape by the way? <laughs> not, not yet. I haven't really thought about that yet. Um, I probably should. I have had a few people ask me, so it might be time to start looking down there, down that road. Because your voice is totally meant for reading to, yeah. for other people and to, for sharing your story because it's just so engaging and you're like enamored. With, I don't want to say enamored, but enthralled and, and you're drawn in as you're talking about because mm -hmm. your voice is just so, it's so soft-spoken, but your words are so powerful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, Sue, where can people find you at? There's a number of places on the internet. I, I, I can't hide. <laughs> so, uh, if you're on social media, on Facebook, it's Sue Bowles Coaching, and it's My Step Ahead. My Step Ahead was the original of everything, and then the coaching kind of fell in after that. And uh, so My Step Ahead and Sue Bowles Coaching on Facebook. My Step Ahead also on Instagram and Twitter. And then website-wise, there's SueBowles.com. And that has to do with the coaching and the speaking and those kind of things and book and whatnot. And then the other website I have is called mystepahead.com. That is more of an encouragement website. I've got my blog is on there. I've got uh, different, different articles on there. I have also have a resource page on there so that a number of different links of, of 
some, some sources out there nationally, as well as some of the resources that I have used in my own work with my dietitian, with my counselor, et cetera, uh, the walking stick retreats, all those are listed on there. So any number of different places. Uh, if someone is interested in life coaching, uh, if you go to SueBowles.com, I also offer a 15-minute consultation, you know, clarity call, whatever you want to call it, where we can just talk and we can talk a little bit about, you know, what, what's, what's on your mind and where you want to go and, and make sure that I'm the best person that can help you with that uh, because I don't want to waste your time. And then the other thing I have, I have what I call a, a hump day help. On Wednesdays, I send out a quick little text. Uh, and if, if anyone wants to just go to, you know, SueBowles.com forward slash offer, then they can give me their email address and their text and whatever, and, I, and they can get that as well. So all kinds of different ways. Like I said, I can't hide. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and your book. And my book. Yes. My book is on Amazon and Kindle. You know, pull it up here. It is this much. I, there we go. This much I know the space between. And you can order that. It'll, uh, you know, and again, my websites have links to it as well. And I would love for you to catch up on the story so that when book number two comes out next year, you can hit the ground running and know what I'm talking about. So you are in the process of writing the book right now, right? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. So maybe when book number two comes, comes out, I'll have you back on. We'll be discussing book number two then. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be great. That, that one it's, it's, I was telling somebody today that one, the writing of it is a whole different aspect of it because while there's, while there's stories in there, it's not me just telling my story. So, so it, it, it's fun. It's challenging. Uh, but, but it's an opportunity to share my heart and, and talk about, you know, why are we so concerned about what other people think about us to the point that it controls what we do? Yep. That's that the bottom is, line. That is so true. Yep. A lot of people are so worried about what they're keeping up with the Joneses basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I won't give it away, but I talk about that. I, 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 I use that. I won't give it away though. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I could say, if I could over my shoulder or behind my head, you're going to see there's a quote on the wall over there and it's by Rich Mullins. And, and it's something that drives what I do as well. And I hope it encourages others. And it simply says, it's not going to matter if you have a few scars. It will matter if you didn't live. Wow. All of us have wounds. All of us have scars. And we tend to try to hide our scars. And I want to challenge people to show off your scars. Not in a flamboyant, arrogant way, but let them become part of your story the same way I have. And the reason I say that is because scars give hope. Because scars show that healing has happened. Wow. So it won't matter if you have a few scars. It'll matter if you didn't live. Don't let those scars keep you from living. Wow. That's, that's, I was going to ask you, do you have anything else you want to close with? There you I go. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Sue, for coming on and talking about your story, talking about your journey. I can't wait to read your book because I actually downloaded it yesterday because I'm Kindle Unlimited. So I downloaded it. So I can't wait to read it. And I can't wait for the second book to come out. Thanks. I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm excited to get it from my head to a piece of paper. <laughs>
<laughs> so is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, and, and I hope, you know, for your listeners, and even if you're catching this on the replay, you know, please share some comments. Uh, reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. I said earlier that I miss that interaction because there's a COVID getting in the way right now. So the best way that I can have interaction is relies on you to take that first step. You know, my whole thing is what's your next step? And to not, and to have the courage to take that first step to reach out. And it might be to me as a life coach, it might just be in me as, hey, you know, I don't understand what you said, or I don't like what you said, or I don't agree, or hey, preach thanks or whatever. But wherever your next step is, I'm gonna challenge you to take it because that's how you get unstuck. It doesn't matter how big the step is, just take a step and then they build on each other. That's what my step ahead is all about. So I appreciate your time and thanks for listening. All right. Thank you. And guys, we will see you on the next chats when the blog happen. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Wow. Sue has an amazing story. Honestly, I don't think I could deal with the trauma that I've dealt with, that she dealt with in her life. And come back stronger and want to help other people. There are so many amazing people out there in the world. And I have a lot of amazing guests coming on and scheduled for our Chats from the Blog Cabin. It's just one of those things that you cannot believe until you actually hear the stories. And it's very important that these stories are told. So that people know, number one, that they're not alone. That victims of any kind of abuse are not alone. That... Even though they may have been alone when they suffer from the abuse, they're not alone now that their stories are out there and we need to take action. And that's one of the reasons why I started Chats from the Blog Cabin is because I figured if I changed at least one person's life to let one person out there know that they're not alone, then I've done my job. And it's just amazing the, peop- the comments that I get when we stream these on Facebook Lives and then messages I get in my inbox about these chats. It's amazing. Um, I did link in the show notes Sue's book, This Much I Know, The Space Between. It's on Amazon and it's an affiliate link. So that's a way that you can support me without actually giving back to me. Um, I'm just buying her book on Amazon. I really appreciate everything that you guys do. I love the fact that you're hanging on with, with me for season two and it's just been a great year so far um year so far like it's not even the year it's like december 29th when i'm as i'm recording this but it's going to be a great year 2021 is going to be the year that a lot of people are gonna come out and they're gonna face their what's going on in their lives and they're gonna face it head on and it's going to be an amazing year i am claiming it for each and every one of you i want to thank all of you guys for being part of the podcast family um I'd love for you, if you would leave a review, just click five stars, click the stars, how how many stars you think they are, or even for that matter, take, take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. I really would appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a blessed day. And remember, let's keep chatting.